How Christians Love. Today's message deals with Christian love, more specifically, caring enough about people and about the Lord to be concerned about our influence, about how we use our individual influence. In early Corinth, there were many gods, small g, and many different religions. Animal sacrifices were part of these various idols of the, uh, the, the worship of these idols. And then the meat that was cooked in the animal sacrifices was eaten by the worshipers and their guests. And so in their minds, eating the meat that had been sacrificed was part of the worship of these, of these idols, of that idol god. Well, the Christians knew that these idols were nothing but a chunk of stone or a piece of wood, that they didn't amount to anything at all, of course, and that the meat was just meat. There wasn't anything special about it. And so why not go ahead and eat the meat? I mean, there's nothing to it. Just eat it. But Paul says such a practice could have a negative influence on those who had not come to know the true God. Since not everyone had come to know Christ, Paul is anxious for these new Christian converts to relate properly to the pagans. And here's what he tells them. It's found in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 13. Now remember, this is about Christians eating meat that has been offered to idols. You would think there would be nothing wrong with that because it's just meat. Because, there's no, because the idols were nothing but, but wood or stone. And Paul says this, verse 13. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, or to stumble is the way it says it in the King James, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. What Paul is saying is this. Christians that are doing what God wants us to do will show our love to others by being willing to change our actions and our attitudes and what we are willing to do, our behavior. That may mean we do not get everything we want or we may not do everything we would like to do when it reflects on our influence toward other people. We may need to change what we do if a careful evaluation of ourselves says your influence is having a negative effect on somebody else. Josiah Elliott was a humble country preacher in North Carolina. And for nearly 50 years, Josiah Elliott pastored country churches. Josiah Elliott wanted to pastor a city church. That's what he really wanted to do. And he considered that all of his ministerial life. He wanted to pastor a city church. Why can't I get out of the country and go into town? 
But that's just not what happens. He loved his people, though, out in the country church. And he loved them through their bad crop years. He loved them through their family problems. He baptized them and he led them in the Lord's Supper. And he would be a welcome family member as he would visit them. And he loved the people. He did their funerals. He was just a welcome family member out in the country. He never got to the city. But through his ministry, he influenced many, including two who went on to become presidents of the Southern Baptist Convention and one who became president of the Baptist World Alliance. And so through his influence, he touched millions and millions of lives of people, and he had influence on what those people taught others. So you see, his influence was felt. Some of the people, Casper Warren, George W. Truett, and others through whom Josiah Elliott touched all those lives, not personally, but through his Christian influence. We are to faithfully use our influence for God wherever he places us, and then leave the results to him. Just be faithful. Wherever it may be, whatever the circumstance may be, be faithful to God and leave the results to him. So Christian, uh, Christian love demands that we accept, first of all, that we are responsible for our influence. We carry the responsibility for that. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 32. 1 Corinthians 10, 32 says this. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Don't cause anybody to stumble by your influence. Now, the term Jews, as used in that verse in this context, represents people who are opposed to Jesus Christ. He's saying, don't cause the people who are opposed to Jesus to stumble. Don't use your influence in a way that can cause those people to stumble. One of the, an example of that would be people who are wrapped up in secular humanism. We have so many people like that in our country these days and that we come in contact with right here in our city. People that are just opposed to any form of religion. Secular humanism has become almost a religion and it is hostile to Christ. We must not participate nor appear to condone secular humanism or any other ism that would appear to be opposed to Jesus Christ. Let, us, let it be known to those who are around us that we are Christians by our influence, by the things that we say, by the things that we do. Hey, I'm a Christian. I don't do that. My influence is shows that I'm a Christian. My lifestyle, the things I say, all of that shows that I'm a Christian. We are responsible for our influence. Here comes that illustration I was mentioning a while ago. When I was pastoring a church in uh, 
uh, here in New Mexico many years ago. I had a young couple that were, that were in my church. And uh, he had been a soldier in Germany and married a young German girl and, and brought her back to the United States. And they were members of the church. and They were just a wonderful couple. But her dad and mother came to visit her from uh, Germany. They, were, they lived in a little town called Munchburg, which was in Bavaria. And uh, they spent some time in their visiting with them. And during the course of their visit, her dad prayed to receive Jesus Christ. It was my blessed privilege to, to lead him to pray to receive Christ. And so it was so nice. And they went back home. But I was coming home uh, from one of my Marine Corps trips to the Middle East and decided to take a couple of days off and go to Munchburg, Germany to visit with them. And so I caught the train out of, out of uh, Frankfurt and went to Munchburg and had a great visit with them for uh, a couple of nights. And while I was there, they drove me, oh, we went into the Czech Republic and went around to visit. And, and they had a son and grandchildren that lived in another town nearby. And we went to their home for a meal. And while we were there, I met another one of his grandchildren this man's grandchildren, and he took me up to his room and he said, let me show you. And he knew that I was, that I was pastoring church. And he said, let me show you a poster I've got in my room. And we went up and looked at this poster and there was above his bed was a huge poster of a crucified Jesus on a cross with a great big red circle and a slash across it. And he said, what do you think of that? I said, man, I'm I'm sorry to see that. What, he said, well, that's what I think about all this religion stuff. And so I, you know, I wasn't in a position to say anything at that moment, but I got to talking to, to the dad, uh, the grandfather, and I said, that's, that's kind of tough as we were driving away. And uh, I, he said, well, it's just a phase he's going through. And I said, maybe lovingly you could tell him what Jesus really did for him. The sacrifice Jesus paid. You can use your influence as a grandfather to tell him that Jesus paid it all. That Jesus literally went to that cross to pay the penalty for his sin. That it's not just a phase. That this is a big deal. You see, use your influence to make sure that people who are opposed to Jesus Christ understand all they can about what Jesus really is about. Then it says, Greeks, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks. Greeks were indifferent. We must not cause those who are indifferent to the gospel to stumble. There are some Christians who say, even Christians that say this, that say, oh, it's going to be all right. God loves everybody. So, you know, really, everybody's going to end up in good shape. Don't believe that. Have you heard the verse that says, ye must be born again? You got to get saved. There's truth to that. Boy, I was so glad to hear you say that great evangelistic things are going on in Germany. You've you got to get saved. You need to know 
that salvation comes through Jesus Christ and you have to receive Christ and accept his death as payment for your sin and invite him into your life. You got to do that. Indifference won't get you into eternal life. And indifference won't cause those people over whom you have influence to come to know Christ. Jews, Greeks, and then it says, uh, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. That's talking about fellow Christians. Some other Christian is likely looking at you as an example of how Christians should be. Maybe it's somebody in your family, or maybe it's a coworker, or maybe it's just another acquaintance that you have coffee with once in a while. Somebody's probably looking at you as an example, because you're at church, right? That somebody looks at you as an example of what a Christian is supposed to be about. Are you a good influence in their lives? Christian, we are responsible for our influence. Number two, Christian, Christian love demands that we must be genuinely concerned about the welfare of weaker Christians. Jesus warned about this in the most forceful terms in Matthew 18, 6. He said, if anyone causes one of these little ones those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Now, Jesus at that particular point was talking about children. But, he would, but the same thing applies to a new Christian, somebody who is immature in the faith, somebody that hasn't grown very much. If they look at you as somebody that's been a Christian for a long time and they say, well, he does that, or she says that kind of stuff. She gossips. He goes to those places. It must be okay. It'd be better for you to just be dead than to be using that kind of an influence. You need to be concerned about the welfare of weaker Christians. To sin against Christian brothers and sisters is to sin against Christ. Acts 9.4 is that verse where Paul was on the road to Damascus and Jesus said to Paul, Saul, Saul, it's not that Jesus didn't know his name, it was before he changed his name. Jesus said to Paul, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now Saul hadn't been persecuting Jesus. He had been persecuting Christians. But Jesus said, you're persecuting me. So when you're persecuting Christians, the weaker Christians in our case, then you're, when you're sinning against weaker Christians, you're sinning against Jesus Christ himself. That's what he's saying. Think with me for a minute about the way newer Christians can be wrongly influenced. More mature Christians, perhaps... Less mature Christians would see as all right and would be encouraged to excess by your behavior if you show an angry attitude or a judgmental or manipulative approach in your relationships. Mature Christian, if that's the way you are, if you're judgmental or if you're manipulative or if you get angry easily, 
Maybe these are some of the areas that you need to change about your influence. Or maybe you have a lax attitude toward alcohol. Is that something you need to change? Do you have a lax attitude there? Or maybe you have a gambling habit and a weaker Christian who might see you walking into one of these many casinos we have around here now or see you doing one of those numbers or whatever you do now. They see you doing that. Well, I thought that person was a Christian. They hang out at Hoffman Town Church on Sundays. And they're doing, is that influence going to be positive for the Lord? Maybe you need to change some, some things about what you do. Or if you neglect prayer, or you neglect studying the Bible, and family members know you don't really do that stuff, or you don't go to worship, attend, don't attend worship regularly, you're supposed to do that as a mature Christian. And if you don't do it, then your influence is not positive for the Lord. Or ungodly language. There's my pet peeve, right? Ungodly language. You cuss or talk dirty. Or maybe you just lie or just exaggerate a little bit. You don't have to do that. Those are things that Christians shouldn't do. And immature Christians seeing a more mature person and a more mature Christian doing those things will think it's all right, that it's really not that big a deal. Christian, use your influence for godly pursuits. Use it in a positive, godly way. Christian, be concerned about the spiritual welfare of weaker Christians. And then number three, Christian love requires that we must be builders rather than wreckers. Builders rather than wreckers. Sometimes our Christian influence suffers the same fate as a boxer named C.D. Blaylock. I'd heard about this story, so I looked it up online to see if I'm telling the truth, and apparently it's the truth. C.D. Blaylock, who in the 1930s swung at his opponent and missed and hit himself in the face... He staggered and fell and stayed down for the count. (laughs) He is the only boxer who both won and lost by a knockout in the same fight. (laughs) We are called to fight Satan, but uncontrolled temper, thoughtless words, selfishness, and so forth can knock out our Christian influence. Okay? God's godly love always builds up rather than tears down. That does not mean we should not correct error. Where you see error as appropriate, use, ask God to give you the wisdom to know when it's time to speak up or when it's the right time to say what you need to say. Don't be afraid to say what needs to be said, but also be appropriate at the right time. Ask God to show you the constructive way to do what needs to be done. And remember, Christian love is never self-centered. The bottom line, 
Christian love compels us toward one primary objective. 1 Corinthians 10, 33 says, so that they may be saved. Our focus is to be on helping those people over whom we have influence to be saved. What greater love can there possibly be than to show somebody how to be saved, where they don't have to worry about going to a devil's hell, where they can know that they have eternal life forever. They have life in Christ. And then they can show others how to be saved for all eternity. Christians need to relate to others in a way that shows them that God loves them and has a wonderful plan for their life as well as a place in heaven for them for all eternity. Oh my, such a wonderful gift God has and he has it for us. Christian, does your life reflect God's wonderful plan does your influence show people to Jesus Christ? Is it right there? Are you serious about, you know, if you're not serious, if you just come and fill up a seat on Sunday mornings, you can do that. But you're missing so much. You're missing the sweetness of the relationship that can make your life so worthwhile. God loves you. And the four spiritual laws that Campus Crusade came out with decades ago, the first law is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He has a great plan for your life. And I don't care how old you are. If you're an old person like me or if you're just starting out, he still has a wonderful plan for your life. Won't you let him exercise that plan by giving, him completely your, by giving yourself completely to him and letting him use your influence? that others may be saved. We're living a gospel, a chapter each day. By deed that we do, by word that we say, folks read what we live, whether faithless or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? What is that gospel? It always returns to the message of God's love and Christ's sacrifice so that people may be saved. Does your life share the message? Or have you never been saved yourself? Have you learned how to play the game? Have you learned how to show up, put on your nice clothes, say the right stuff at the right time? but you've never really prayed to receive Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You've never accepted him into your life and made him your Lord and Master. 
You've never accepted his death and his sacrifice as the payment for your sins. You've never accepted the fact that he did indeed rise up from the grave as we celebrated last week. You've never done those things. You've never given yourself to him. You can do that right here today and begin the experience of, of knowing that you have that abundant life that he has talked about that he has come to give us life and give it more abundantly. You know, Jesus paid it all. Our sin had left a terrible stain, but he can wash it white as snow. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. I'm going to invite the counselors to come stand at the front right now. And perhaps it's time for you to give your life to Jesus Christ. You've never accepted him as Lord and Savior. You can come and talk to one of these counselors right now. Make him uh, make Jesus the Lord of your life and they'll tell you the steps that you take, the next step to give Jesus Christ your life absolutely and completely. Father, I pray that if there are those in this room who have never prayed to receive you, that they will do that even now, that they will pray a prayer honestly and earnestly that recognizes that they have sinned and that the penalty for sin is eternal death, but that you paid that price when you died on the cross, and now they accept your penalty, your payment, as a penalty for their sin, that they invite you to come into their life and to be their master. Oh God, I pray that you will move in hearts today and lives will be changed. Folks, would you please stand now, please? And Christians, would you be praying that the Holy Spirit will move and lives will be touched and those who need to make a commitment to Christ will make it right now. And just during these next very few minutes, if you need to make a commitment to Christ, would you come forward? Just come forward and talk to one of these counselors right now, just during these next couple of minutes. They'll be waiting right here. Thank you. Would you be seated, please? <clears throat> now I conclude my time with Hoffmantown by singing a song. It's built on an old Marine Corps recruiting slogan.
this dying world could use is a willing man of God who dares to go against the grain and work without applause. A man who will raise the shield of faith, defending all that's pure, whose love is tough and gentle, a man whose word is sure. God doesn't need an orator who knows just what to say. He doesn't need authorities to reason him away. He doesn't need an army to guarantee a win. He just needs a few good men. Men full of compassion, who laugh and love and cry. Men who'll face eternity and aren't afraid to die. Men who'll fight for freedom and honor once again. Just needs a few good men. He calls the broken derelict whose life has been renewed. He calls the one who's had the strength to stand up for the truth. Enlistment lines are open, so won't you come on in? He just needs a few good men, men full of compassion, who laugh and love and cry, men who'll face eternity and aren't afraid to die, men who'll fight for freedom and honor once again, he just needs a Jesus needs a few good men, just a few good men. 